Welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian Gabriel, 1980s edition. Light, Pepsi Free, French's Bold and Spicy Mustard, and Vianetta all appear on grocery store shelves for the first time. Late Night with David Letterman, a late night talk show hosted by David Letterman, premiered on NBC. Actor Bill Murray was Letterman's first guest. The Sony CDP 101, the world's first commercially released compact disc player, was introduced in Japan. Couple notes on that. Crystal Light, I totally thought you said Crystal Pepsi, which I was like, no, that was the 90s. But no, I I never even saw Crystal Light. Crystal um, Light and then Pepsi Free. And yeah, those two I never heard, saw. Crystal, again, Crystal Pepsi, I remember seeing. or But not, but Diet Coke 1982. I The other one that blew me away was David Letterman 1982. That's insane how long Late Night with David Letterman was on before he moved on to just the Late Show, right? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And 82, which means it was the, at the height of SNL for Bill Murray, huh? Yeah, I guess that would line up. Or no, not the height of SNL, but the, the beginning of SNL, right? SNL started yeah. like in the in year before. How, did we not talk about that? We did. I think that's why that's why I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I know yeah, this trivia. Yeah, started. And then the, the disc man. No, no, wait, no, that, yeah. that no, that's not a disc man. That's a commercial release. Well, it was a, it was a compact disc player before they had a cool name for it. Oh, so in the eighties, and it doesn't become popular until the mid nineties or affordable. Probably affordable, yeah. Affordable, huh? That's very yeah. Interesting. The, uh, I had, I don't know if it was my first one. Like my brother might have had one. It might have been like I is maybe the first CD player I had was like two thousand and like one. I think I was carry a, with me. I think I was maybe a year or two before you. I uh, I remember specifically I had a sport edition that was like yellow accents, bright yellow. It had a hand strap so you could carry it while like jogging, I guess. And it had uh, like that G G skip or whatever anti oh well, that protection. That's where you had the handle because you could yeah you wouldn't you skip. Yeah, I um I rocked the Walkman dude until until ninety eight because I remember my senior year of high school still going to the uh, security office at the end of the year and trying to steal uh, Walkmans back. That weren't my <laughs> so what happened was if. If you got your Walkman taken away in class, your parents would come and pick it up. But if you never did, at the end of the year, they would, they would give them back to you. But they kept no track of that shit. So every end no. of year, <laughs> I would go and be like, yeah, you guys confiscated my uh, Walkman. And they would just have a box of them. And they go, which one is it? I'd be like, the Sony one, the yellow one. <laughs> and then there, there would always be a Sony yellow one. And the one time it wasn't there, they were like, uh, it's not here. What about this one? I'm like, all right. <laughs> I like how they solicit another one. It's like a salesman. 
Well, we don't have that model, but what would you think about this one? Oh, but yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I know I rocked the Walkman, but because even when the when the discs uh, when the CDs were get were very popular and everything, I mean, all you were doing was making mixtapes, yeah, from them, you know, to be able to put in your Walkman. So, I think that I think I was with you. I think I was a year behind you on getting my my first disc, man. I also had a a Walkman for like all the most of the time leading up to that, you know. And I remember one of the later editions I got as they started to get cheaper, you know, because CD players were becoming more popular and, you know, the technology was going that way was I had one that like picked up local TV stations because it had a, it had an AM FM radio mm. could play, but it also had like television stations. And so I, I specifically remember like I'd be doing yard work at my, my grandparents' house and I would be listening to like judge Judy <laughs> while I did it. Cause I could just get the, the television, you know, and that's not stuff I'd normally be able to watch or whatever. It's just, you know, random television stuff. So I just like tune into like whatever, channel five or whatever and listen to, listen to judge Judy, meet out justice. All right. Let's get into births here. Who appeared in 1982? <laughs> Who first appeared? <laughs> yep. Uh, Colin Jost. Colin Kelly Jost is an American comedian, actor, and writer. Been a writer for Saturday Night Live since 2005 and Weekend Update co-author or co-anchor, I'm sorry, since 2014. That dude's been working for Saturday Night Live for 17 years. He gets to retire pretty soon, I think, right? He's he's in his <laughs> mid-30s, pension. dude. I don't think he's that old. <laughs> Honestly, I Well, only... he's 40 now. Oh, he's 40. Okay, so he started at 23. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot about the math. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it'll it'll get us eventually. Weekend update is the one thing that I consistently watch every week. It is it is my favorite part of SNL, and then I'll go into like the cold open, especially if something crazy happened that week, cause, and you because you know they're going to address it. Um, but yeah, but I think he's 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 probably the person that I see the most from Saturday Night Live just because of the weekend update. I don't I know him from his I think. He was in the Tom and Jerry movie. That's that's about it. If you do, if oh, without oh, yeah. without weekend update, I, I don't know. I don't know anything else about Colin Jones yeah. except that he's a writer. Yeah, weekend, for we, weekend update is about it. Like I, I'll watch if I'm uh, if I'm doing something just like mindless, like I'm washing dishes or something. Sometimes I'll put on like a compilation, mm-hmm. you know, of them cracking on each other and weekend update because it's you know they're pretty good. Yeah, and there's a lot of them. Yeah, turns out. At least one one per every week of the year, right? <laughs> yeah. Next up, Charlie Cox, actor. Charlie Thomas Cox is an English actor, best known for portraying Matt Murdock, Daredevil, in several projects for the Marvel Cinematic Universe franchise, including lead roles in Daredevil, The Defenders, and the upcoming Daredevil Born Again. Yes. Um, first and foremost, these damn Brits taking all these American jobs. Secondly, oh, we had laws against that. Secondly, he is a, a he is a really great actor. I really like Daredevil. I liked his cameo in She Hulk. That was awesome. And yes, Born Again. Definitely that. looking forward to it. Curious so to my, see what what Marvel is going to do with it, or Disney. curious to see. <laughs> my favorite story about Charlie Cox that I read was that he uh, he auditioned for the part of Han Solo in the Solo, a Star Wars story movie. Oh, the one that uh, Amelia Clark got? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. No, no, (laughs) fucking Charlie Cox. (laughs) 
the solo main character. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were saying the the movie she was in, and I was like, yes, yes, I, that's okay. And he blew the audition, and like he didn't get, and so his feedback, and he didn't realize that what he was subconsciously doing was he wasn't making eye contact because he got so unconsciously used to acting blind. <laughs> And so, like, he was, like, staring off into space, like, not looking at these people while, like, doing his read or whatever. They were just like, what is wrong with this guy? That's funny. And so he realized how habituated it was and how he had to, like, actively think to not do that in the future if he was doing. That's funny, dude. Yep. Yeah, they were like, we liked how you did, but, like, you you, You just (laughs) weren't looking at us. Just to look at us. All right. Next up, Sebastian Stan. Speaking of Marvel. Actor, best known for his role as Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, that's a that is. I know I've seen him in something else, but that's all I'm familiar with him for. He was in that uh, Pamela Anderson. That's the only other thing I. Oh I right, seen that's it. right. He did. I he watched, got the big role. Yes, the big role. Well, and just the it was pretty crazy to look at like you know how they're doing all these like biopics and mm-hmm. stuff now, and like the way they transform people. Yeah. To be other people is wild. Yeah, I did see that actually. No, that was that was that was great. I forgot about him in that. Huh. Yeah, the trans well, his transformation I think was a lot because it because of just it was mostly like his his uh workout routine and then mannerisms. I think yeah. for, for the girl who played uh Pamela Anderson, I think it was a little bit different because it was prosthetics involved. Yeah. Uh, in order to make the transformation happen. Still, like I mean it's 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 impressive to no, see like how they're seamlessly they're able to do it. It is no, definitely okay. Sebastian Stan. Last up, we have Jessica Biel. Oh, Jessica Biel. She, I was never a fan of of um, Seventh Heaven, but I know of her because of that show and the and like you know like just how much charisma she had. I um, I was a huge fan of Blade Trinity, the third Blade movie. That her and uh, Ryan Reynolds were in. Yeah, uh, I really liked that movie, and she was great in that movie. She is, she is in such great shape, like just a, a really, really great physique, like such a like very muscular, but like toned and and everything. Yeah, um, and you know, married to Justin Timberlake, you know, can't can't be all bad, right? She was in the Wolverine. She was. That's they got it listed on her credits. Oh, I don't remember her. I don't even see her listed when you look at the <laughs> the cast. Who, who were you? What kind of what kind of like was it a cameo? Maybe it was a cameo. I was Maybe. trying to think. I was, I was I was looking real quick. I was like, what have I seen here in? Because like Blade Trinity. Because I think forever. she was like was was she, she was in Stealth, right? Uh, the um, the AI um, flown uh, fighter jet. She was in like uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Dave or whatever that movie. Chuck and Larry. Was. Chuck yeah. And Larry. The, she the was... ones they list as her big films are the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and okay. Yuli's Gold. Which I don't oh. know. Okay. Um, stealth, yeah, is there? And I and there, I think she, and I think she did a movie the, with Freddie Prince Jr. I think with like something. She about was baseball? in Next. Is, was that the Hayden Christensen? Nicholas Cage. Oh, Nicholas Cage. Oh, where he could see thirty seconds into the future. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I did. I've seen that. Uh, she was in the new uh, the remake for Total Recall, the 2012. I saw I that and I don't see. remember her, but I also don't remember 
or I, th- I think I tried to forget watching that movie. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and I, I liked the actors in it. Colin Farrell is a great actor, but uh, that movie was was not was was no Total Recall. That's fair. It's hard to, I, you know, as campy as the movie was, it was a product of its time. Oh yeah, uh, you can't you can't replace that. No. Uh, all right, moving on to uh, deaths. We have first up Vic Morrow, actor and director, best known for his ABC drama series Combat. July twenty third, during production of the Twilight Zone, the movie. Vic Morrow and two child actors are accidentally killed during a helicopter scene, leading to reforms in filmmaking, safety, and child labor laws. That is insane to die. That's horrific. <laughs> How old was he? Um, ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I would hate to ask how old the children were, but I'm, I, I guess. If they're classified as children. Yeah, no. That's, that's, <laughs> they gotta be. That's horrible. He was. I like how they don't just give you, they make you do the math. He was uh, 53. Not old, but not young either. Yeah. Oh, wow. What did, What else do we know him from besides combat? Well, let's see I feel, what else we got I feel he was. He, I feel he was in in something else from the, from the 70s. The name is very familiar. Maybe some... Blackboard Jungle, 1990, The Bronx Warriors... Which was actually from '82, apparently. <laughs> uh, the Bad News Bears. Oh, okay. A Man Called Sledge. Mm-hmm. The Last Shark, which is weird because they the it that's what it says on the on the art on the poster, but may, I may, I guess it's called Great White because that's what's beneath it on the link. <laughs> a, a less famous shark movie, let's just say. Yeah. Okay. There's there's other there's a lot of other stuff here. Cimarron was a western. Yeah, no, I'm ta- a little bit familiar. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, I I, I know the name from something in the seventies, but uh, but yeah, okay, all right. But uh, you know, I would look more into it, but like once you say helicopter accident, that's all I need. Yeah, to know. no, I, I don't want to know anything else. That's sad. It's crazy. Uh, next up, we have Philip K. Dick. I know the American name. American science fiction writer. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yeah, responsible for a, a number of things. So Philip K. Dick was an American science fiction writer. He wrote 44 novels and about 121 short stories, Jesus. most of which appeared in science fiction magazines during his lifetime. This Some of the most famous things he did. I was going to say, we talked about this name in last week. Why don't we connect these, Dave? Because... <laughs> I'm I'm gonna pretend it's on purpose and we're creating a through line as opposed mm. to isolating all of our stuff. You know, we want people to tune in every week and you know get the get the we we're building on it week a, over week. A podverse, right? A podverse. Yeah. The, the cinematic podverse. Yes. Um so Blade Runner was based on the nineteen sixty eight novel um that he wrote called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Right. Which is I possibly his most famous one. No, I, I don't, um, I'm going to disagree with you, but go on. <laughs> Total Recall. Yeah, already disagree. Here, yeah. Based on the short story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. That's a good title. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good title. <laughs> I don't know what the hell did they end up with. But I, I, both, it seems like... snappy. It seems like both really good titles that then they're like, we can't name a movie this. Blade Runner. Yeah, like, no, like... Total Recall. Yep. 
marketing departments. Uh, all right. Next, we have Jack Webb, actor. I am a fan. I'm a fan of Mr. Webb. John Randolph Webb was an American actor, television producer, director, and screenwriter who is most famous for his role as Sergeant Joe Friday in the Dragnet franchise, Damn right. which he created. Yeah, yeah. He was he was also the founder of his own production company, Mark Seven Limited. Yep. He I think he he's responsible for like Adam Twelve and all those shows too. And he was fantastic in the movie The DI about the um, Marine Corps recruit. And he's a drill instructor, and he just will not let this boy quit. It's a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty decent film. Okay, I had to double check just to be sure because I was pretty sure it was the same guy did both. But um, and obviously, if he created the show, but he was on the he was the voice on the radio as well. And oh wow, that was one thing. So not just from the television, but like there used to be. I, I want to say it was like nine p.m. at night. So if we just happened to be out at some un, uh, ungodly hour for children, m- my mom would tune into KNX ten seventy. and you'd have every day of the week they would do it was like an hour of old-time radio shows and every night it was a different two like they'd play two different shows so dragnet would be one of the you know regularly featured so i got to hear some of uh his work on the radio he has a fantastic voice too like he does deep baritone like pan it was fantastic very much the uh the detective you know grizzled detective yes no, he has got a good a good presence even through the radio. All right, last up we have Grace Kelly, former actress and princess consort of Monaco. Yes. <laughs> when you have to add to your credits and you're like, hmm, what can we cram in here? <laughs> like, uh, Grace Patricia Kelly was an American actress who, after starring in several significant films in the early to mid-1950s, became princess of Monaco by marrying Prince Rainier III in April of 1956. Kelly was born into a prominent Catholic family in Philadelphia, was the other note they gave. Oh, so just, like, like she didn't need it. She was fine. <laughs> yeah, like, she already had this. So, like, the princess thing was just, you know, whatever. The princess thing was just whatever. Um, What was her big film? I want to, why can't I remember what her fil- big film was? I like how they even overshadowed that by saying, oh, yeah, she was in several prominent films. Uh, High Noon. Okay. That jumps out. Uh, to Catch a Thief. Okay. Rear Window is the first one that comes up. Okay, that's okay. I know, like I know her. Yeah, yeah. She's she is the love interest of uh, Jimmy Stewart in that movie. She's mm-hmm. awesome, uh, and she's got really great comedic uh, timing um, to match Jimmy Stewart, and um, just a solid, solid character. Yeah, okay. I'm like, I know that name, and I was like, okay, it's because Rear Window is one of the greatest movies ever made. Yep. On to the movies. Yes. Starting with Conan the Barbarian. <sighs> Released on May 14th, 1982. Budget, $20 million. Oh, okay. It's a lot of loincloths. A lot. Uh, box office take, uh, it's listed at 68.9 to 79.1 million, I guess, you know. A lot of that okay. was in dollar bills in those loincloths, and you know it's hard to count. Yeah, and this was Schwarzenegger's like, because he had Pumping Iron, then he had Hercules in New York, and I think then he had uh, Conan the Barbarian, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure this was the big one, right? Yeah, no, this is uh, oof, man, this is 
this is the origin story of Conan being this Slash is Flash Arnold. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> um this is uh James Earl Jones as the bad guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the giant snake. Oh yeah, no, this is uh this is a, a such a great, great film, man. Such an amazing yeah. film. <clears throat> Orphan boy Conan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is enslaved after his village is destroyed by the forces of the vicious necromancer Thulsa Doom, James Earl Jones. <laughs> And compelled to push the, quote, wheel of pain yep. for many years. Once he reaches adulthood, Conan sets off across the prehistoric landscape of the Hyborian Age in search of the man who killed his family and stole his father's sword. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fantastic movie, dude. I, um, Classic. I, I've seen all three of them, in, in, in which I include Red Sonja. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, it's it's those movies that, like, the role was made for that person. Like there's no one else that could have played that role. It was just incredible. Incredible. Yep. He he is counted the barbarian. He is. My God. All right. Next up, The Dark Crystal. I I'm aware of this film. I've seen it. I don't have the cult following that a lot of people do. But go on, go on, kid. I've not seen it. And it's on my like. It's somewhere on my watch list somewhere at some point because I'm like, man, I'll probably watch the TV show at some point. You know, like I I have a fondness for like Muppets and stuff, so I kind of like the the practical effect of having the actual you know puppets involved and stuff. So uh, I'll get to it eventually. Budget of uh, 15 million and a box office uh, of 41.4 million. 15 so. million? Mm-hmm. Huh. I didn't realize puppets were that expensive. Yep. Uh it's all the uh I think it's all the uh, sensitivity training for the the actors who got to stick their hands up their bums. Oh, I thought you meant because one muppet is like three people. <laughs> it costs you just that many that much more. You just you wouldn't believe the puppet HR department. Uh Jen Stephen Garlic raised by the noble race called mystics has been told that he is the last survivor of his own race the geflings this is just gonna be a bunch of made-up words because it's fantasy mm -hmm. he sets out to try to find a shard of the dark crystal a powerful gem that once provided balance to the universe after the crystal was broken the evil skexis used sinister means to gain control jen believes he can repair the dark crystal and bring peace back to the world if he can only find the remaining shard that sounds like a pretty typical fantasy story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the diamond together and get all the power, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, collect the drag balls, whatever, you know. Just, you know, find the MacGuffin. All right. Uh, next up is the snowman. Oh, classic snowman. Classic. Now, it's a TV short, technically. 28 minutes, 30 minutes? Yeah, right around there. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a budget or whatever. I mean, the release date was appropriately December 26th of 1982 in the U.S. Um, it's just beloved. Like, uh, we've talked about it on the holiday episode previously. Yep, it is one of the five movies that I watch uh, in December. Every year. Every year. And I've even yep. started watching part two. Oh, I don't. I haven't done that. I should add that to my uh, regimen. It gets weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it gets weirder than the snowman coming to life and flying the child around. Uh, yeah, there's no dog. There's no family. Uh-oh. That <laughs> yeah. brings a lot of questions yeah. up. Turns out he had a... They made him. 
with turns, their hands. <laughs> turns out he had a secret family that whole time. <laughs> Damn. So, like, wait a minute. Like, this has to be a case of, like, they just exist. And they only get physical form Look, when they're made. Because the, the other snowmans were there. He did go party it up in the North Pole with the other snowmen. I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, yeah, it's a part two. It's a part two. Not as good as part one. I'm not going to lie. Not well, as good. it can't be. But, uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything we can add to what we said before. But, like, man, I just can't get over, it. like, you know, the nostalgia of the art. You know, the drawing, like the hand-drawn stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Uh, and then and then just the soundtrack. Like, it's a it's a beautiful, uh, beautifully composed uh, soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a movie that you can actually leave playing in the background and just have it, and you don't because you don't have to pay attention. It's short, like you kind of get what, what's going on with the story. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, just a beautiful, beautiful little flick. They do a lot of that. Uh, the The sounds tell the story too, yes. which means there's a lot of yes. auditory cues. You know, like the walk around, the tiptoeing, like you know that kind of stuff. So you know what part you're at without yeah. even looking. That's true. Actually, that's a good point. All right. Next up, The Last Unicorn. Go on. I, I haven't seen this, so <laughs> let's 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 find out what's going on. Released in uh, November nineteenth, nineteen eighty two. Budget three point five million estimated. Gross six million four hundred and fifty five thousand three hundred and thirty. Hundred percent profit. There you go. So, what is the premise? In this animated musical, the villainous animated king musical. Ha- Hang on, let me just get, let that sink in real quick. Okay, go. King Haggard, Christopher Lee, plots to destroy the world's unicorns when a young unicorn, Mia Farrow, learns that she is in danger and may soon be the last of her kind. She leaves the safety of her pa- uh, safety of her protected forest and enlists the helps of Schmendrick, Alan Arkin a gentle, albeit clumsy, sorcerer. Together they embark on a long and dangerous journey with one goal, to defeat Haggard and save the unicorns from extinction. That is a cast, dude. Christopher Lee, Mia Farrow, and... For that budget? Yeah! <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, what the hell? Like, you've got, like, they and they have more, too. Like, if you look at the at the list, hang on. There's, like, you know, it's pretty star-studded. I wonder what went wrong. 80s cartoon, maybe? They were just, like... A, cartoon a... musical. I guess the musical part, yeah. Because cartoon, because I'm like, what? But then again, though, 80s cartoon movies were not what they are now, right? Like, as far as... Jeff Bridges. Oh, wow. Angela Lansbury. Miss Murder, She Wrote Herself? Robert Klein. Yeah, there's a, you know... That is quite the cast. Yeah. Huh. I, I might... Maybe look look up a trailer or something. Yeah, I'm tempted to look just because of that. All right, you know what? Gabe, it's our show. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> All right, look up Last Unicorn, right? Last. Yep, the Last Unicorn. unicorn. She is a creature of legend. In an age of sorcery and savagery. Well, whatever. I like the animation, honestly. I was gonna say the animation is very reminiscent of the Hobbit uh, movies that they made in the yeah, late Lord 70s. of the Rings and the Hobbit, yeah. So that um, the next thing is the soundtrack, the music. Really of, dropped the ball. 
Well, but here's the thing, though. They it, it took me a second to realize what they said. They said the music of America, and I was mm-hmm. like, and then it you know it goes into the last unicorn. And I was like, the music of America, and I was like, oh, the band America, <laughs> not the country of America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not the continent. Not that. Yes, not the continent of America. And then the only last thing was. Alan Arkin's voice does not fit that character. <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, he almost sounds like he was just reading a bit too. Like, like yes. he didn't know what to like. What yes. was the prompt? Like, what was my motivation? He's just like, I don't know. I just got, I got to read this because everybody else there was, you know, there was Lee always is gonna, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna Christopher Lee. There was. But, uh, uh, I think that's one of the. It makes me think of like one of the things about Star Wars. Like Lucas was insistent that they have um, like a classical orchestra score. Mm-hmm. And at the time, disco was popular and, and like the push from, you know, was like, make it like, you know, make it the music that's popular. And can you imagine, like, would that be as timeless if you had funky, you know, like it would, it would definitely be a cult classic, but like, would it be as timeless? Yeah, that's you know? true. Um, which it makes me think that like stuff like that, like if it's going to hold up, you kind of got to make something that's not maybe a little bit targeted. You know? Yeah, I'm gonna say that I I liked what I saw, but maybe in mute or on mute. Um, That's fair because it it looks Except like for it had, Christopher Lee's parts. Yeah, yeah, it looked like it had some good action um, and animation. So I don't know, I don't know, but that was that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks for. And like that. I said, I, I've never seen it. I don't even think I I was aware of it prior to. But I'm I'm this. glad you're willing to put it on your list to talk about it. Next up, we have Tron. Oh, Tron. So, I will say this about Tron. I remember as a kid watching it and thoroughly enjoying it. I remember re-watching it like 10 years ago, and it felt very slow and not as cool. Then Tron 2 came out. I remember watching that one and then going back to Tron 1 and appreciating it a little bit more. <laughs> but but yeah, but but you forget that's a Disney film and that they were doing pretty incredible things with with uh with animation and and, and special effects in that movie. It's yep. it's actually a very very good movie in that sense. But yeah, but when you go to Tron 2 you're like what the fuck? <laughs> like this is insane. Um but yeah, no, no. I, I, it's a, it's an interesting, fun movie. The, the, the motorcycle races are cool. The tanks are cool. Um, it, it, yeah, I, I think it's something people should watch at least once. But, but be mindful that it's, it's a slow movie. It's a slow movie. I feel like that might be one of the earliest like video game to a movie tie-ins. That, mm. Because you know the light cycle game was pretty. You know, it's just lines racing yeah. on a. You know, so like it was real easy to do that. And, you know, it, a lot of there was a lot of ripoff ones. So that was something I, I absolutely played at some point. <laughs> I never played it. I, I, I watched the movie. That's it. Um, released July 9th, summer blockbuster, uh, 1982. Budget 17 million. What do you think the box office was for this? Only 17 million. Wow. Um, for all that six CGI, I feel like it was new and interesting, and it probably had the backing of of the Disney PR machine. Seventy million. 
fifty million. Oh, so a success, but oh, not, yeah. but not, you yeah, know, not seventy million. <laughs> um, also, uh, uh, young, young uh, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, yeah, star. yeah, and that's yeah. that. That's what made me watch it again because after watching Tron Two, because in Tron Two, they do the digital remastering. Well, I'm sorry, no. They do the digital de-aging of Jeff mm-hmm. Bridges to make him look young so he can look at his own, have a conversation with himself. So, yeah, I don't know. That's right. It's, it's Jeff Bridges. All right. For our last movie today, we have First Blood. So, before you give us all the facts, Gabe, I will tell you I saw this movie in the last year. Um, holds the fuck up. It's so good. It is, it is, I don't know, I, I, I remember it being good, re-watching it, and it's a, it's a long movie, by the way. Um, it is. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's still, still very good, like, uh, Stallone was, was really, really good in that film, really great writing, um, you, 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 you are on his side from the very beginning of that movie, uh, and um, and it shows again watching it before watching it now, it has a really great perspective that isn't blatant. Like we know now, uh, and I know now because of you know reading and everything that that a lot of Vietnam veterans when they came back they were not looked upon in a positive way um, just from coming back. He is a person that came back you know, who was spit on, who was called the baby killer. But then he also has long hair, which means he, and he's basically a hippie. So he's turned his back against that, you know. So so on top of having to have lived through that, in the 60s, 70s, hippies were also not welcomed in this world. So he, he's got, he's like a, he's got two, two negative things going for him. And the authority, the law, is, 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 is portrayed by, um, uh, not Danny Aiello. Um, what's the name of the cop who instigated Brian, Brian Dennehy? Yeah, Brian Dennehy. Who inst- he does a fantastic job antagonizing him and setting him off. Basically, um, it's a great film. yeah. And something else that I think they portray about Rambo throughout too, um, without being crazy heavy handed about it, I don't think is the like the PTSD. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, you know, like he's got, uh, you know, he's got some baggage. And in this movie, because he does get, he does, you know, like they fuck with him, right? They put him when they, mm-hmm. when they, when they, when they, uh, pick him up and put him in jail for the night, they fuck with him. And again, to a normal person, it's hazing, but that's what triggers him because it isn't hazing. It is what happened to him. So mm-hmm. for him, it's PTSD being triggered. Well, for anyone else, it would be like fucking cops, you know, fucking with me. No, no, he is triggered by it. No, you're right. Yep. They do an absolutely good job with that, and it carries on through most of the films. Mm-hmm. Uh, released October twenty second, uh, nineteen eighty two. Budget fifteen million. Oh. What's oh. the box office? Hundred and seventy. No, although adjusted, I'm sure it would be for inflation. One hundred twenty five point two. Pretty damn so, like, good. From fifteen, yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good take. That is a fantastic take. Yep. Yeah, that I haven't watched that uh, since I think it was like twenty sixteen. 
Mm-hmm. I remember watching it. I watched it. It, it came on. Uh, it came on TV, and I was watching that while carving pumpkins for Halloween. <laughs> so I had to get out the big knife to carve the pumpkin. Otherwise, you know, I was going to feel. And you know what? The other thing that they that. do well with that too, because of of all the you know guerrilla warfare stuff that I've read, they do a really good job with one person being being able to disrupt an entire platoon or an entire organized militia. You know, uh, the ability of one person's knowledge and 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 uh, and capabilities of doing that. I think that's done really well too. Now, there's a little bit of luck that that Rambo has, quite a bit of it, but um, but for the most part, they're well, you know, timed and well planned attacks, especially when warfare. Yeah, because half the half the movie is him running away, and the second half is him pushing back, which is you know where it gets good. Yeah. And then and there's like there's that great speech at the end, you know, where he breaks down. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, solid movie. Solid, solid, Gabe. Uh, all right. So we got our first appearances. Which oh man, this is uh, uh, the timing here. So uh, Kirstie Alley. Oh, she recently passed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a couple days ago now. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I, I, for me, I know she did some stuff before, but like Lucas Talking is the one that always stands out. Look, the Lucas Talking franchise. She was so great in those, but she was such a beautiful woman. I know she was doing work before that. I think soap opera, probably. I'm gonna guess. Well, her uh, first appearance here is in Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan. Oh, she is. She's one of the. She's one of the 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 um, Romulans. Vulcan. Well, really. She's Vulcan. Oh, she. Oh, okay. So she wasn't part of Kong's team. She was part mm-hmm. of of um, uh, Nimoy, uh, uh, Spock's team. Okay, okay. Yep. I guess I can see her in my head. Like her eyes also, like they jump out all the time. Yeah. So wait. So what was Kong then? What was um, Ricardo Montalban? He was a superhuman, a genetically engineered human. Okay, I must be Khan Nunian Singh. Okay. Uh, extremely intelligent, dangerous superhuman. He was the most prominent of the genetically engineered human augments of the late twentieth century eugenics wars. Mm. Just, get, just getting. I mean, they're a little later than portrayed in that show, but. Yeah. Okay. No. No. So. So not a. Not a Klingon. Okay. Okay. I. I, I was thinking of something else. Um. Yeah. No. I remember that movie, dude. I, I thought it was a. I. I. You know. It. It's got the. I mean, I think the the the, the William Shatner. Kong, you know the the yell. Um, I was never a fan of the movies, but I do remember watching it. Uh, well, next for our first appearance, we have uh, Antonio Banderas. Oh, in 1982, really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting, dude. The first time I noticed him was in the movie The Mambo Kings with Armand Asante, and that was early 90s so that dude was trying to get out there for a while before he hit it big and then desperado of course this was uh his appearance was uh labyrinth of passion you know i uh, mean it fits right yeah i was gonna say i'm not surprised (laughs) the man has scolding eyes (laughs) uh next hugh grant (laughs) in privileged (laughs) Hmm. that suits him (laughs) Oh, wow. So he was acting for a while, too, before he made it big, huh? Mm-hmm. 
Huh. Yeah, like when I don't know when like when did he really like er, like nine like nineties, but like Yeah, it was nineties. I think like the the man who went up a hill and came down a mountain, I think was his big one. So and, it took him, took and him then, you know, yeah, decade ish. Bridges Jones Diary and all those movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh last first appearance here is Jet Li, Shaolin Temple. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that most of those mar- mixed martial I mean, uh, mixed martial arts. Most of those um, martial artist actors who crossed over, we found out about them way later than when they were actually famous and doing their work. I think most of them were famous in their own countries, in their own yes. in their own yes, uh, yes. production of movies before they they did the crossover. Okay, and yeah, and yeah, he's one of those guys that was probably acting and doing martial arts in his early teens, probably, huh? Yeah, okay. yeah, that makes perfect sense. All right. Uh, something old, something new. Actually, I'll go first because you triggered something when you said Muppets. Mm-hmm. I I watched the 1987 Muppet Christmas special. And it is the episode where it starts off with all the Muppets, Kermit, Fozzie, Gonzo, everybody is in a pickup truck. And they're all driving to Fozzie's mom's house. Because he's like, yeah, let's go. We're going. We're going. We're going to surprise my mom and spend uh, spend Christmas with her. <laughs> and then they they go into the mom's house, and mom's like getting ready to leave. She getting ready to leave uh, Minnesota, where the hell she's from, to go to Flo- Florida or Los Angeles for a a warm Christmas. And she's renting out the house to a, another person. Um, and then you know, Fozzie surprises her, and she cancels her plans. But what I found interesting about that is that is that the Sesame Street uh, characters make an appearance. And I was like, wait, a crossover between the Muppets and Sesame Street? That's crazy. <laughs> do, all, do they all exist in the same universe? Apparently they do. Wait, it gets better. They then go underground and they hook up with the with the Fraggle Rock kids. <laughs> so, so I was like, "Wait, is this allowed?" The puppet cinematic universe. Yeah, I was, is Yoda I was, there? <laughs> I was like, "What the hell?" And then I was like, "Well, it's I guess because it's Jim Hansen, he can do whatever the fuck he wants with his puppets." Mm-hmm. And then uh, at the end, uh, at the end of the whole special, like everybody's hanging out, and then you see Jim Hansen opening like the the kitchen door. And he's like, you know, and Merry Christmas and everything. He goes, all right, well, time to do the dishes. And he like, you know, he has this little moment. And then he goes into the kitchen to start cleaning the dishes. And I'm like, fucking Jim Hansen's the shit, man. He put Fraggle Rock, Sesame Street, and the Muppets all in one house for one Christmas special. That's pretty good. That was fantastic, dude. I watched that this week. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, And then the only other thing that one of my coworkers turned me on to is a show called, and let me make sure I get it right, um, uh, SAS, Rogue Heroes. And it's a British television show um, that depicts the origin of the British Army Special Air Services during the Second World War. Um, I, I started watching it. It's, it's a lot of fun. It is, it is, the style is, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Losers, Oh, but uh, familiar, but yeah. but a little bit like the boys, the TV show. It has that style. It's really well done though. Uh, fantastic acting. I know of that show because I I follow BBC. 
Okay. And you know they talk about it, and they did a little um. They did a little bit where they took one of the actors and had him go talk to the guy he's portraying, who's like still alive. Oh shit! The dude's like a, a you know a gajillion years old, and just like the the humblest, nicest you know little old man who was who was like cutting throats and killing people, and you know, you're just like you're just like this little sweet old man. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, I just talked to my, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, we were privileged to be involved. You're just like, this, this dude walked across a desert. <laughs> like, I'm just happy to be there. Oh, you know, like, holy shit. Yeah, no, I recommend it because it's, it's fun. It's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's stylized, obviously, but, mm. but it's cool though. It's cool. Uh, so yeah, those are my two, uh, two things that I did this week. What it made me think of, and again, the only real uh, association is desert and like allies in World War II. Is like, and I, again, I get that it's a different, but like the Rat Patrol is what I like. Thought, like uh, oh, okay. like you know, guys out in the desert doing the like, you know, and that was another very stylized. You know, every character like they were the least military, you know, military <laughs> unit because like each of them had a different hat they wore, which was part of their thing, you know, and. Yeah, so I was like, okay, like I, that's absolutely something that's like you know on my list of it's on my radar to watch, you know. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, for my part, I watched season four of Castlevania, uh, the Netflix show. Oh, the Netflix show. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did not know. I, I watched the first two seasons. I did not know we're up to season four. I'm not gonna lie. We are. Um, that's where it ends. Okay. Uh, and. It's it's mostly due to classic Netflix where they're only willing to put in about that many episodes, you know, um, you know, three or four seasons worth, because at that point, the metrics show that they don't pull in new viewers. Oh. And that's their whole model is they need to keep getting new viewers. So they have to start they have to keep pumping out shows. They're going to make people sign up for the platform. So unless it's their big headliners like um, uh uh what's it called uh, stranger things stuff like that like those things they'll they'll continue a story because you know it's a big draw but you know smaller stuff it's only uh, they'll, they'll do the three or four and then still gotta go still surprising though for an animated tv show like that i mean big mouth is on season six right but still um for yeah because because big mouth is a comedy new you're bringing in a bunch of new people Castlevania, yeah. Castlevania, you're bringing some hardcore fans with you, and you're hoping a bunch of new people jump on. So the fact that they got to four seasons is actually impressive. It is impressive. Um, I'd be remiss too if I didn't say that like there was also controversy with like uh, I forget which person like sh- like the I don't know if it was the showrunner or writer somebody somebody involved was like had some kind of controversy too, and so like you know that gave him another reason to just be like yeah, yeah this is we're done. But voice cast great. Um, uh, it's 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 done you know the style is real good it's done beautifully and uh it's they do a they do a good job wrapping things up like it's a nice, oh, nice. You know, fitting they put a bow on it you know um and they haven't closed the door on the possibility of there being spin-offs okay either i want to say you know because obviously they introduced a lot of stuff you know uh especially if like I, I i know of but i'm not super familiar with the rest of the castlevania stuff going on you know mm-hmm. so um, watching that, you get introduced to a lot of things that then you know they could they could run any direction. You know, world's the oyster. So that was really uh, I think that was my big my big watch this. this that's week. I mean that's pretty a full season. That's pretty good for a week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, with that, uh, don't forget you can find us 
at Pop Culture Hangfire on Instagram. And we will see you next week. Have a week. <laughs>